You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Really, the whole section there of First Peter, uh, Greek doesn't have punctuation like we do in English, but I mean, it's, it's one big thought coming from Peter. You see the same thing at the opening of Ephesians with Paul, where it's just basically a great big run-on sentence of joy, and Peter's doing the same thing here. But we're, So we could read the whole section, but we're, we're going to be focusing in here on the first Verses, three verses here is three through five. So this is page 1203 in your pew Bible. If you want to look there and follow along, this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands Forever. Peter ends his introduction with this statement. We didn't quite read it just this morning, but he ends his statement there by saying, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And that's a common opening to New Testament epistles, grace and peace. He changes it a bit by saying, May grace and peace be multiplied to you all. But this opening statement is also where Peter ends. And you can see at the end of 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, way down verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. He's, I think it's critical when we understand statements like these in our Bibles, they aren't just mere well wishes of, you know, peace to you, some sort of you know, just a casual greeting that we might give to one another. Have a good day, peace to you. That those sort of casual greetings. When it's in the mouth of a Christian, specifically the Apostle Peter here, when it's in the mouth of a Christian to another Christian, it, it takes on extra weightiness. Sometimes we speak of hope in just this light way, but Peter means something far more concrete and therefore far more meaningful in his declaring of the hope that the Christian lives with. We should remember the, uh, the difficulty that this audience is in in the receiving of this letter. This letter is, you know, we're taught we need to read our Bibles contextually. It has a historical grammatical interpretation, meaning that this was written at a certain time to a certain people from a certain person in a set, set of circumstances to a people in a set of circumstances that has application, general application to them at their time. We can read a passage like this that speaks about the blessing of God that can kind of lose some of its punch when we forget the 
the difficult time that they are in. If you, and you don't necessarily have to know a bunch of church history to get the difficulty that the church was undergoing in Turkey, what's modern-day Turkey at this time. You can read this book, and you can see all of the oppression that's coming upon them. You can see the evil that they are enduring. You can see the persecution just in the passage we read this morning, the fiery trials that are coming upon them. They are in trouble. They are struggling. They're undergoing persecution. They're having difficulty. People are slandering them. Evil is being done to them. Difficulty and darkness surround them. That's the situation they are in, that Peter's writing, them, writing to them in. But not only that, think of the situation Peter's in. Like you can look again at the end of the book, and he says he's writing to them from Babylon, which is kind of code term for he's in jail in Rome. And the way this is going to turn out for him, why we can fairly accurately date the book of 1 Peter is because we know that Peter was killed, church tradition has recorded for us, Peter was killed under the reign of Nero, crucified, according to tradition, upside down. He refused to be crucified as Jesus was crucified, and so they hung him upside down. This is the fate awaiting Peter. And so if we, we forget that, then we think, well, this is just some rosy little introduction. Bless God, isn't he great? Sounds fine if you honestly think things are great and life is just chugging along just fine. You're living in your prosperity and your ease, and you say, that's right, bless God, everything's wonderful. We put on our Joel Osteen smile, we flash our teeth, and we say, we're living our best life now, bless God. That is not the church that in the, the believers, the elect exiles in the dispersion, that is not their experience of life, and it isn't Peter. Peter's. And yet, I bring up the context because even though this is the darkness that surrounds them, what is Peter's message? Bless God. Bless God for the good things that he has done for us. And it's important that we get that context because we can think that the blessing of God only happens when things go exactly as we want them to go and things go along the way we want them to go along. This is not in this life. Not so with Peter and with these churches. It helps us to feel the full weight of what Peter is going to write to them about. How will God's grace and peace be multiplied to them? Honestly, it isn't as we expect. It's, it is easy, and I think if every one of us was honest, we could say that at some level... What we really want are promises that everything's going to go the way we want it to in this life and permission to just go ahead and live the way we want to live. What we really want are just promises, everything's going to work out the way that you want it to work out, and permission to go ahead and do life the way that you want to do it. We want promises and we want permission. Everything's going to be just the way we want it to be, and we can go ahead and do whatever we want to do. And there are those who are really disappointed in church because they think that the point of the church is to give affirmations and support for whatever cause they think suits them best. But the church is not about that at all because the church is founded upon the teaching of the apostles 
the scriptures tell us in many ways and at many times what we need most is rebuke and correction. We need calls for repentance. We need calls to change our minds and to change our lives. The, the scriptures tell us that our, as our sinful hearts pull us in a thousand directions, we need correction. And our church family is here and the scriptures are here to offer course correction, to, point, to shine the light for our path that we might see where we're strained and get back in line. There is a turning from sin that is absolutely demanded of us as Christians. And so the idea that the church is just to be about promising us everything is going to go the way that you want it to go and giving us permission to be exactly and do exactly as we want is a false reality to, bank, to, to build the church upon. But now I'm getting off track because I try to be an expositor and there's nothing really in this passage here about turning from sin. What if an expositor wants to take the point of the passage and have it be the point of the sermon. So this text really doesn't have anything to do with killing sin, but I don't think, but don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean there isn't a challenge in this text. There's a challenge in this text. The challenge is not saying no to what is less valuable, but in seeing what is truly valuable for the treasure that it is. The challenge is not saying no to what is less valuable, which is implied in there to say no to sin. Sin is shiny. We think it's going to be wonderful. And in fact, Satan has very craftily designed many sins to be very pleasing in the moment of, of, of committing the sin. But it is saying yes to a lesser treasure. And so the challenge is, is not just in saying no to the lesser treasures, but in seeing real treasure for what it is. To see Christ for the treasure that he is. Peter's call to the church is not to say no to all that will make you happy, but to open your eyes and see all that will make you forever glad in Jesus. The church gets the rep that we're just about saying no to things that people want to do. You just are buzzkills. There's all this joy out there. There's all this fun. There's all this enjoyment of life. And the church is just about saying no to enjoyment. The church is just about killing happiness, killing joy. And that is just absolutely false when you read a letter like this that Peter is writing. The church is actually about you finding your greatest joy in the right place. Treasuring Christ rightly. So much of the struggle with the sorrows and the difficulties of this life are not empowered by minimizing the struggles or minimizing the sorrows, but by remembering the maximization of our blessing in Jesus Christ. The sorrows, the, the struggles against sin, the strife, the, the Christian life is not by pretending like those things aren't real. It is by remembering what is ultimately real in Christ. You think about how much of our life is just medicating for our sorrows, really. How many sinful pursuits are simply the chase for what we think will bring us the most satisfaction? I don't know how that doesn't apply to everyone at some level. That we're just medicating, whether you're medicating your sorrow through anger, 
trying to force things to go your way. If I get angry enough and loud enough and forceful enough, I can make things go my way. And we're medicating our sorrow over our circumstances with anger and forcefulness. Maybe you medicate through avoidance, your, your sorrow, pretending that if I just let this thing kind of fade away, maybe time, it'll go away. And we medicate our sorrow maybe through silence. Maybe you medicate your sorrows, you occupy your thoughts with pointless pursuits and avoidance. Uh, my generation, the current culture is, is like next level at this ability to get your phone out, to get the game out, to get the audiobook out, to get the TV show out, to get the movie out, to whatever, and just avoidance, avoidance, pretending that trouble will work itself out, occupying your thoughts with pointless pursuits, plunging yourself into sinful lifestyles, thinking that in them you'll be made happy. If I just give myself to the pursuits that I feel most strongly in my heart, then I will be made happy. Or, since we're in church, Maybe you wear self-satisfied religiosity as a cloak of your, over your sorrows, trying to make yourself feel superior. However you may pursue your satisfaction, Peter in these verses is doing his best with human language to get you to raise your eyes to something better. Something better than you're dreaming up. Something better that you're trying to use to medicate your sorrows. Something far higher. So, First, what is the substance of this? Just two things now left this morning. The substance and the security of this treasure. What is this? And this is just general. We might go back next week and dig into each little section because this is so rich, so dense. I haven't decided yet. But this morning, we're going to generally take this big idea and look at the substance of this joy. Peter, verse 3, he calls this, according to his great mercy, God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Peter calls this a living hope. And then he calls it, in verse 4, an inheritance. And both of these are incredibly precious statements. This living hope that is given is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I think the proximity there of living hope through the resurrection of the dead, I think that, that proximity there is linking the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, which goes on forever, with the hope that a Christian has. It is a resurrected, living hope. Jesus, we know, raised from the dead, never to die again. He's now at the right hand of God the Father, from whence he will come to judge the world in glory. He will not die he is a living, and in the same way that he is resurrected to an unending life, our hope that comes through Christ to the believer is now a living hope, never to die, never to fade. As surely as Christ has raised from the dead is as sure as the longevity of hope is for a Christian. It is a resurrected and a living hope. Hope, much more could be said. But Peter also calls it an inheritance. Now, just the reality of having an inheritance is, is, is astonishing. When we take the Bible at its word, we realize that it says that apart from the grace of God, we have no inheritance except wrath. 
We have nothing coming our way. We are, as Ephesians 2 tells us, we are by nature children of wrath. That's our inheritance as the fallen creation. Our inheritance, what we deserve, what we should get from God is wrath. All of mankind, born sinners by nature and by choice, deserve nothing but God's just judgment, and He is not judging on a curve. It's not, it's not you know, we're, you know, uh, yeah, there's some really bad people, but thankfully I'm not all the way over there. I'm a little better than them. No, His standard is you can look right down. If you still got your Bibles open, you can look right down here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 14. 15, whereas he who calls you is holy, you also be holy. His standard is righteousness. His standard is holiness, and we have fallen short. So the very idea of us receiving anything positive from God should blow your mind, honestly. I mean, there's a sense in which you could just wake up in the morning and put that thought in front of you and spend the day marveling that God would do anything in your favor. Give you any inheritance at all is astonishing. It is astonishing. But Peter uses three words to describe this particular inheritance. He says it is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Really, these three words, I don't know if they need much description. They're kind of self-explanatory, but they, they, they tell us that the durability, the purity, the consistency of this inheritance is second to none. What God has given those who are His through Christ is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. This inheritance is greater than any other inheritance that could be inherited. Do you have anything in your life that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? If anything in your life that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We could look at our culture and we could talk about our economic status. Maybe you've got a lot in the bank. You've got your 401k. You've got your retirement. You've got whatever. Economically solid. Does, does, does the current state of our geopolitical economics and all this stuff not make you a little bit pause that maybe that's not as imperishable and undefiled and unfading as many times we live like it is? Maybe our bank accounts are not as secure as we think they are. They do not promise us this wonderful future. That fades. That fades. As secure as you may try to make it, it fades. The roof over our heads. We got our houses. There are concrete possessions. Unfading, undefiled. Anybody else have a list of home improvement projects that are just, just getting longer as you fail to get them completed? That is not something to, to stake your hopes and your joys and your assurances on. I bought a car just like a couple of years ago. I mean, it's a used car. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I bought a used car. But I've only had it a couple of years. And we were coming home from Des Moines uh, Friday. And the thing was, it was jerking and shaking. I wasn't sure we were going to make it home. And see, 90 degrees outside. I don't want to walk down the interstate back to Mount Air. Thankfully, we limped, limped home. But I haven't paid for that thing yet. I still got the, I mean, it's, 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 it's a possession that I have, but good night, are we not aware 
that the things of this life are very perishable. They are very defiled and they are very much fading away. What about our relationships? Don't those last forever? Not at all. And even the ones that you're really committed to, say your marriage relationship, because of sin, undefiled and unfading, fluctuates, you ever come home and maybe you're in sin and you, you just are in a grumpy bad mood and your spouse thinks, well, boy, this sure isn't an unfading possession. This sure has got a few problems to it. You know, I've often thought dogs, you know, my dog, right? There's an unfading love. That every time you come home, the dog is happy to see you. Uh, and you can, you can be mean to the dog. It doesn't care. It loves you. But you know what happens? Dogs don't live as long as you do. They're not unfading. Even they go away. The inheritance, though, that Christ gives never dies, never diminishes, and it never fades away. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. That's the substance, briefly, of the inheritance. But now the security of this inheritance. We see the greatness of this inheritance, but I want you to see the security of this inheritance. This is so important because at the end of the day, any possession is only as good as your ability to actually keep it. Any possession is only as good as your ability to actually possess it. No matter how incredible of an amount may be in the bank, it's, it's only good as long as you can keep possession of it. And you can think and imagine bank accounts that have unlimited amounts of cash in them, but if, if you can't get a hold of them, they might as well not even exist. We were in Des Moines this same trip, and we saw this, this yellow Lamborghini parked at the phone shop. I guess even people that drive Lamborghinis have to get cell phones. <laughs> I mean, you know, a quarter of a million dollar car driving around. That's a, that's a pretty cool car. But that car, I mean, it's worth so much, but it's pointless. There, there's, it's pointless to me because I have no hope, nor would I want to spend that kind of money, but to have a car like that. This, this priceless inheritance might as well not even exist because it's, it's, I could never get it. So forget about it. Forget about it. This inheritance is too high. It's too precious. It's too great. I can't obtain it. It might as well not even exist. If it's up to me to get this inheritance, then forget it. I'm not going to own the Lamborghini. If, it, if it's this priceless, it might as well not even exist because I can't get it. This, As great as this imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance is, if it's up to me to get it, it might as well not even exist. Because I, no, I have no way to. How can we expect to achieve an inheritance like this? I want you to see all the God language here. All the God language here. Look at God's action here. It is according to His mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You were right, I didn't do that. He did that. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, not by you, kept in heaven for you, who, not by your power, by God's power, are being guarded through faith 
for a salvation ready to be, ready to be, to be revealed in the last time. How can we expect to achieve an inheritance like this? You can't. But God in his great mercy gives it. Gives it to his people through faith. It is all God. It is his incredible mercy. It is his incredible power that makes this inheritance valuable. And he is the one who gives it. He's the one that makes it priceless. And he's the one that gives it to those who can't have no hope of obtaining it. It is according to his prerogative. And he is the one who guards that inheritance until the final day. Not only is the one that he the one that gives it, he's the one that secures it for you. So that until that final day, when we see Jesus face to face, your inheritance is secured in Christ. Not only could you not get it, you couldn't keep it. Not only could you imagine of making it that great, God makes it great, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and then he gives it through faith to his people. He secures it. He holds it for them, guaranteeing that in the final day, this joy, this unfading joy, will not fail to find them. How can Peter rejoice in jail, knowing his martyrdom is coming? How can the churches scattered throughout the dispersion there in this region, how can they rejoice when all these things are coming against them? They know they have an inheritance that they could not get on their own, but was given to them through Christ and secured to them through Christ. They know that God is the one who sent his son, that though they deserve wrath, Jesus came took their wrath upon himself, shed his blood upon the cross. Jesus is the one who lived the righteous life we all should have lived but didn't, meriting God's favor so that every one of us, turning from our sin, looking to Christ, would have this inheritance given to us through faith, not through your works, through trusting in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who dies on the cross. God is the one who sends him to do so. The Holy Spirit is the one who now regenerates us and empowers us and seals us for God himself. What is on our part? Nothing that is really any doing, but simply believing with the empty hands of faith. God's power guards us through our faith. What are we believing? We are believing God and in his incredible value. If you look down to verse 9 in this long section here, Peter says that what we're obtaining is the, this outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. What is this great inheritance? It's God himself. It's getting God. It's getting God himself. He is the inheritance. He is the treasure. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we do not find him as the means to get some treasure. He is the means and he is the end. He has come so that through faith in him, we might be set right with him. He is the means and he is the end. We do not look to God as Christians in order to receive some great benefit as though God, God is the means to this other end. God is the means to himself. He is the great benefit. He is the substance of the inheritance, and he is the securer of the inheritance. So it's why I've titled our little series here, Treasuring Christ in Every Trial. 
because Christ is the greatest treasure and the Christian rests secure in God's promises that through every trial, the Christian both has the greatest treasure and therefore ought to rejoice and the Christian will have the greatest treasure and so they ought to rejoice because God himself is the treasure. This is the anchor through the trials of this life. Bless God, Peter says. Do not look only at what is going on. Look at what he has done. Look at his action and look what it has accomplished. Look at the substance of this gift himself and look at the security of that gift that he will guard it and he will bring it to pass. Look at him, believe him, trust him, and rejoice and bless his name through all the trials that come our way in this life. Let's pray. Oh God, give us eyes to see this. Give us hearts filled with faith. Help us, God, to see the, the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us who are being guarded through faith, knowing that it will be revealed in the last day. And Father, as we go through various trials in this life, as we go through various struggles and difficulties and worries and concerns, plant this hope deep in the heart of your people that we have a treasure that cannot fade, that cannot be defiled, that will not perish. And it's you, it's having you. So Father, work repentance in our hearts that we turn from sin, work faith in our hearts that we would trust Christ and, and fix our gaze upon you, upon that which is most valuable, anchoring our hearts in you for whatever comes our way in this life. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.